Thank you for coming to the podcast. It's Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Gumby, we've been off in this UFC lull for two weeks. I almost forget who sponsors our show. I mean, since we last spoke, the biggest combat event in history happened between two of the all-time greatest names. Uh, You had Gary Tonin defeating Dylan Dennis (laughs) in a submission-only match by judge's decision. Wow. I mean, I'm spent just from the whole event of it. Nothing else happened, right? No, I don't think so. Okay, cool. Uh, So anyway, we are brought to you by uh, Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu makes the most strongest, durable, lightweight mouthguard ever invented. Here's how lightweight it is you can talk you can breathe you can drink all of the mouth guard in your mouth it is a feat of science it is a feat of mouth protection head on over to sisuguard.com get yourself the right mouth guard for your sport or activity we are also brought to you by band coffee Band coffee makes the world's strongest coffee. Band coffee is like a punch to the face. If that punch to the face tasted delicious, it will wake you up in the morning. I guarantee it. Head on over to bandcoffee.com. Enter in promo code TOPTURTLEMMA, all one word, not case sensitive. Get yourself a 20% discount. So good, the coffee should be banned. It's banned coffee. It's Sisu Mouthguards, and they present Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Are rolling. I am David Tremonti, joined as always by my co-host Daniel Gumby Vreeland. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. That is our mother ship. We, of course, are available there. Also, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, to name a few. Wherever a podcast is being streamed, give us a like, give us a follow, give us a subscription, give us a download. It all helps keep the lights on in the Top Turtle Podcast studio. Gumby, one of the things we're known for in our own minds is just getting right into it. There are so many MMA podcasts out there, and they like to lollygag and horse around and, you know, try to show off their insidery. Uh, MMA knowledge and then they laugh a lot and it just annoys me so one thing we try to keep our podcast on is on point so let's talk about the biggest fight in combat sports history Floyd Mayweather defeated Conor McGregor in a boxing match in the 10th round via TKO what were your thoughts as an MMA nerd yourself uh it it pretty much went down exactly the way I thought it would um to be fair I mean I think maybe the stoppage was a little bit surprising uh both in real time because I I thought probably he wasn't wobbled enough to merit calling it um and like he said after the fight I would have liked to seen him have to hit the mat but apart from that that that's like what I expected right Connor came out hard uh, stole a couple of rounds early. Depending well, on- not according to one judge. Oh, you had it Jesus. nine to one for Mayweather. Yeah, but that's boxing criminality. Right yeah, wh- whatever. Whatever the judge is saying. Uh, Connor definitely won one, two, and three. Right? Like, oh, no brainer. And, and then, like, you could probably pepper in maybe he won four, five, or six. He was like close in all of those. But after that, it was it was a downfall, and that's exactly what Floyd Mayweather planned. You know, let him go nuts. He's not going to hit me hard enough. And he's going to get tired. And, and you're right. He fatigued. His arms were fatigued. His body was fatigued. He wasn't moving like he normally does. And it, that could be expected. He's fighting in a sport he's never fought in before. Yeah, we talked about this. I mean, he fatigued in really both Nate Diaz fights when you think about it. The first Nate Diaz fight, again, a largely striking contest. Nate Diaz, if you had to name his style, he's a superb mixed martial artist because he's good in multiple places. But I would almost say primarily he has a boxing short shoulder roll style. Yeah. Both Nate Stockton Diaz. Stockton slap. The Stockton slap. Yeah. Both Nate Diaz fights 
took place almost under, I'm not going to say boxing rules, but they were primarily contests on the feet mm-hmm. with them trying to strike each other's heads off. Yeah. He gasped in the first one. It led to the loss. Uh, you know, the rear naked choke had nothing really to do with how good Nate Diaz is at jiu-jitsu, and he's great, but it was because Connor gassed. In the second fight, Connor did what he had to to win, but he gassed in the fifth round of that as well. And yeah. I know Nate Diaz is the larger man and everything else, but, you know, when you heard that Connor was going to be 15 pounds heavier than Floyd, if not 20 at bell time, I what you know the reach to me is obviously that was significant, and he, he did well to use that reach too. I, he, I think that deserves to be noted there because in those early rounds, I think what was working for Connor was his jab was working. I mean, I, oh, and, and he used a jab like a boxer, and that was probably the most impressive part of him for me is that he used his jab as a boxer. He kept his range and he fought like a boxer in those early rounds. Absolutely, and he didn't go crazy and try to outpunch himself even in those first few rounds. I thought when he was having some success, I worried that he might start coming with like wild left Celtic crosses, Mm -hmm. the left cross, and then really gas himself out even sooner. But what my original point was, was I would have been interested to see a lighter Connor, actually, if that could have helped get him to that, you know, 10th, 11th round, maybe sacrifice a little bit of power per se. Here's the other thing. And I think it's very clear, obviously, boxing and MMA, it's apples and oranges. It's two different sports. It's two different styles of striking. The power we know and love from Connor, the way he glides across the octagon almost like an ice skater as he delivers that left so smoothly that's not there in boxing the way you plant your feet the power I think Floyd said it after the fight that you know he's had more powerful people and I know he's a vindictive little prick but Pauli Malinaji said this as well he's been hit by harder people because Connor's just not used to boxing yeah I think if Connor dedicated himself to boxing for the next three years he's a top 10 fighter I think yeah and, and LRB said that too LRB said that he, he would have a really bright future in boxing if he dedicated himself to boxing but you're 100% right it's a different game his stance in MMA is so tricky for people because it's rangy, it's funky. You're not quite sure if he's going to hit you with a kick or he something sh- spinning to the say, solar he, plexus. He shields things with flashy kick. Exactly, yeah. but when when you take away that shield, I mean, it was obvious that he was going to lose that way, right? Like, and maybe you know, some people gave him a chance or stuff like that. It went down as expected for me, and it's not even that disappointing to me because I think he he had a good showing. And in the end, I do think it was probably good for MMA because he I, he took rounds off the greatest boxer of all time. He brought legitimacy to his boxing game by at least being competitive against maybe the greatest boxer of all time. As an MMA guy and as a Conor fan, I obviously didn't want to see him get rocked or anything like that. And I didn't want the boxing community to have a leg to stand on and talk a bunch of shit. This was like the best outcome, I think, that could have happened because I think both sides are happy in this. I think most people, and this is anecdotal, but from my friends and the people I've talked to, I heard two guys at the gym talking about this just now. I think boxing was so dismissive of Connor's skills that the fact that he went to 10 with someone who has no punching power, you know, let's be, let's be real. um, It comes off like he put in a good showing. And I think we've actually come to a really far place in life where I think people really do respect MMA and get, they're kind of like triathletes and they don't focus just on boxing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, Connor comes out looking for a guy who got knocked out by someone who's smaller than him, who doesn't have any power. Mm -hmm. 
it's not the worst outcome. And you know what? I'm almost happy from the boxing side of things. If Connor knocked him out, there would have been these excuses. He's 40. You know, Floyd never had power to begin with. Floyd's smaller. It it was a joke. He took it for the money. It's almost like, you know, Floyd got his 50 and 0. He goes out on a high note, uh, TKOing someone, and Connor put in a good showing. Now I'm so exhausted from the build and the hype. Let's never go through this again. Well, I agree with you on that, too. And I'll say one more reason why I think it's great for both sides. Here's another great reason from the MMA side. If Connor wins that fight, by some miracle, he's he wins never that coming fight. back. You'll fucking never see him again. I said that to my friends. They're like, "How bad do you want to see him win?" And I'm like, "I do, and I don't." Because if he wins this, he's never fighting another MMA fight in his life. Correct. So, I mean, you're right. It it did exactly what it should for the boxing and the MMA community. People got to see the Floyd they should have seen in his last last fight, and we're probably going to get Connor back. You know, it's funny because uh, I was at a wedding last night and then uh, got home like just in time for the fight. But, you know, when you go to weddings, um, even me as a non-emotional person, you get a little drink in you. You know, yeah. someone gives a good best man speech, father of the bride talks. <laughs> you start feeling the moment, right? Yeah. I felt like this week, I, I couldn't believe my ears. Did you hear when Dana White said that he would consider giving Connor ownership stake? I did hear that. Yeah. That was Dana <laughs> at a wedding. That was Dana swept up by the height of the fight <laughs> with on the eve of the fight with the potential to see his guy win and never come back. You had Dana White, who has been so uh, like a brick wall when it comes to anything. Concerning a co-promotion, this is why Fedor never came to the UFC, a fighter taking ownership while still a fighter, and how you have Dana White saying that he would give Connor an ownership stake, I mean... I think deep down, not that he would say it, I, I think Dana was almost rooting for that loss, just like you said you were amongst your friends. Yeah, because he knew he wasn't coming back. I mean, in Dana's perfect world, he would have liked to seen Connor win and then come back, but there would have been no reason to, right? Now that, when you're that's making, built yeah. for a trilogy with fucking Un- Mayweather. Unless you give him ownership yeah. stake and you can match that, you know, okay, here's a $30, $50 million purse for your he, trouble. He still winds up fighting Mayweather again if he wins, but... Um, now conspiracy theory time. I do have to say, uh, you know, was it Floyd's intention to let Connor tire out? Yes, absolutely. But I have to say, um, and I hate Floyd the person for all the, the things people can look up on his Wikipedia page, but I've always heard what a great businessman he is and that he's very smart and don't, you know, kind of judge him by what you see in the media or, you know, persona, whatever. He is a smart businessman. I mean, he played this perfectly. Mm-hmm. I feel like he is walking around Vegas right now like Kaiser Soze at the end of The Usual Suspects. He was gone for two years, ran into some money trouble, needed a big name to come back to, didn't want to ruin his legacy against, let's say, like Triple G, right? Mm-hmm. Or give Canelo Alvarez another chance to knock his head off. Yep. He picked the best name with the easiest fight yeah the easiest he fight for him. i mean and he, he killed it yep. he killed it and you know i really truly believe i i believe this in my core and i'll go back and watch the fight again i think what we saw in round 10 probably could have happened in round five i don't think mayweather could have come out there and started with those lightning jabs and gotten connor you know start picking him apart in like the first three rounds but right after he did all the computation in his head off the first three mm. rounds when he barely threw a strike. Yeah. And I was like, okay, got it. Got your timing. Yeah. I think we could have seen that in round five, to be completely honest with you. And I think he extended it because hear me out on this, and here's the conspiracy theory. 
if he had knocked Connor out in round four or five, it looks like more of a joke fight. He had to give Connor legitimacy to make the fight seem legitimate. Yeah, I, I don't know if he didn't put him away there or if the opening wasn't there. Like, he just needed to to turn it up more. And he just fights very calculated in that's my true. mind. That's and, and that's the word that Connor said when he was being interviewed. He was calculated. So I think, yeah, he probably could have turned it on, but the risk at that point was too high. He needed Connor to be just a little bit more tired. And when it, as soon as the meter hit zero risk, he turned it 100% on. Absolutely. No, yeah, you're right. Um, now, let's talk about where Connor goes from here. We've alluded to it a number of times. So he, he left the door open for boxing. He left the door open for coming back to UFC. Here's what I know from everything I watched, and I watched a lot of content this week, the embedded, mm. all the interviews. Um, Connor, the idea that Connor would come back and fight my boy, I have a man crush on him, Habib, nope, not happening. The idea that he would fight the winner of Kevin Lee, Tony Ferguson, absolutely not. You have to do something more compelling for the mainstream and you need a more mainstream name. So to me, I think the next fight for Connor, he mentioned in the fucking ring in the post fight, I've been strangled in here before Mm -hmm. alluding to Nate Diaz. I think it's the Nate Diaz trilogy. I think GSP would be in the mix. And I would say Tyron Woodley would be in the mix, not because Woodley's a big name or has a big social media following because I think there's more of a, casual audience storyline that people can buy into third belt third belt yeah. right and and 170 so I, I completely agree with you i think if you were ranking who he might fight next i think number one at the top is a 100 percent nate, nate diaz, diaz. Yep. if you're looking for number two i actually would probably put woodley at two right now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but i'm gonna stick one in front of gsp anderson um no oh jesus christ no god no nick Um, diaz i'm gonna say number three is gonna be only with an absolutely dominant performance and a flashy promo afterwards the winner of uh tony ferguson versus kevin lee i think if one of those obliterates the other one and does so with their because both of them are great on the mic and does a really good promo. And I'm not saying go out there and beg for the Connor fight, but if they say something pretty smart, like well calculated, that just gets under Connor's skin, the timing and the money is right. I would say they are more likely than than GSP, but only if all those things happen. But I, I agree with you. I think Nate Diaz is next. Yeah, I, no, I know what you're saying. I mean, maybe I think a lot of things would have to play right, as you just said. Mm. Like, it would have to be an amazing performance, an amazing promo. I think GSP is a money fight, obviously. And I just think for the UFC to recoup whatever value, because he ain't coming back for, you know, I think they said in the UFC 205, biggest gate in MSG history, I think he walked away with the first $10 million payday. But he's, he's not coming back for $10 million after making, what did he make last night? I well, mean, like, it was a 30 disclosed, and then you figure with the pay-per-view buys, which look to be astronomical because every pay-per-view system crashed, he's going to make 100 so that's 10 times what he made yeah. at UFC 205. And that's, that's if we're not talking about sponsorships either, because you got to remember, he gets outside sponsorships at boxing too. The dude probably walked with a buck 50. Right. I mean, so 150, that's 15 times what he's making uh, in the UFC. You, yeah, you can't imagine he's going to walk back to that. 
Um, so that'll be interesting to see. And then here's the other storyline to take from this. This weekend, you had a lot of news on the UFC's three biggest names. I was devastated when we found out that Jones tested positive for a steroid. It looks like he knowingly took it from all the information I've read about it. Uh, that was, you know, for the UFC, that was a big shot in the arm because he came back and at the very least... They said that that's yeah, it did a, a floor of 800,000 with the potential of up to a million, probably not a million. Mm-hmm. The UFC does not have that anymore. OK, when you go back and I've looked at the pay-per-view numbers from two, when the UFC got really hot in the year two, uh, 2006 mm. to the year 2003, almost up to 13, which I think was a year where they got ran into some injury trouble. You had guys who could pop a five hundred, six hundred thousand dollar buy rate just you, by showing up. You always had your top of your class. You know the Brocks were going to get a million. GSP could get close to a million, uh, but then you had some guys. Um, you know, like Anderson Silva in those middle years was Even like a six hundred thousand yeah. guy, yep. right? Like you threw him up and you'd get a six hundred thousand. And he could fight anybody. He could fight Tialis Latis, and he was going to sell exactly. And then you know uh, who else? Like a Rashad. I mean, Rashad and Quentin Rampage Jackson. I think. The fight happened two years after it needed to, and that and it did, still sold. That sold like in that you know five hundred to eight hundred range. I could look mm-hmm. it up right now. But my point being, it's like that upper middle class. I'm I'm trying yeah. to say. So the UFC right now, for the past three years, really since 2014, it's been the Connor and Ronda show because that's all they could do to rely on a million. Mm-hmm. Or last year at UFC 200 when Brock came back, yep. that was an an- anomaly. So let's not even count that. So it's the Connor and Ronda show. Jones represented that old school kind of like, hey, here's a guy we could just run against almost anyone, and he's going to get say, yep. yeah half a million. You know, if he fought Gus again, it was going to sell eight hundred, yeah, seven hundred, eight hundred. Yep. That's great. He might not be a Conor Ronda million, but that is no fucking joke. Yeah. I mean, they right now have this floor of three hundred. If you go back to last year. Everything did 300 Stipe Miocic Verdum 300 CM Punk might have popped the rating a little bit. But if you didn't have CM Punk on that Cleveland card, Reem versus Stipe does 300 this past May Stipe versus JDS 300. And that's the heavyweight division, which typically is one of your biggest sellers is the money division. So Jones coming back was huge. And then, of course, he goes and does John Jones things and gets himself in trouble. Connor, we don't know what's going to happen. Could boxing lure him back? Who the fuck knows? Ownership stake. But even then, the money he made, he's not a guy that's going to fight three times a year. He's Now you're looking at a guy that might just fight one time a yep. year. And Ronda Rousey got married this weekend, yep. Gumby. So what do you make of that? As I just kind of set it up, the three biggest names... Jones could be suspended for two years and probably will. They heard Ronda's maybe done four for for Jones because technically he's a second pop. Ronda's done. She got married. Yeah. Okay, she ain't coming back. And then Connor maybe once a year. What do you do if you're the UFC? Uh you have to put a whole lot of stock in a couple of guys who you think sell well. And and to me, whew, when you're looking out there at guys who might sell well, there's probably only two maybe three guys total who you can put that money down on so the the first one i would say is stipe 
You just got to run him out there more. You got to get him in the camera, in the limelight on Sports Center. You got to get him out there because I think he's got that like every man appeal. I, I think he is on the bubble, by the way. I actually think the 300s, while, you know, compared to 2008 numbers isn't great, I think it's actually a good sign that he does do a floor of 300. Mm-hmm. And the more they put the media machine behind him, the social marketing behind him, he's a guy who speaks English, yeah. right? And good Midwestern, all American guy. I I think he could be a guy that does 500. And, and I think that on the bubble comment that you just made about him too, that's totally why they're not just booking him with Francis Naganu right now because he needs that one more big name to make him the big Well, deal. not to mention... He needs Cain Velasquez. He, the Cain Velasquez thing would be huge symbolically, and even if it's not Cain, if it's someone else... Uh, you know, he would break a record because the UFC heavyweight title has only been defended twice. Yep. If he defends it one more time, he breaks the record. And then I think you have, is that going to get, you know, the casual fan interested? Not so much, but it, it does get a little juice going. Yeah, you know, you, you could you can run out promos that say he's the greatest heavyweight champion of all time. And, and then the juice going. So I think he's right on the border. And I think you nailed it with, you know, just like he's on the bubble of being a, a big star. The other one I want to say is I really do think there's a lot to be said for Cody Garbrand. He's got, like, the alternative look. He looks like a fucking badass. And also, like, you know, they have that whole story with his uh, the kid in the, the hospital where he's yeah. actually a big softy. And so, like, he's a badass, but he's also a softy. And you've got a whole kind of rivalry thing going with TJ Dillashaw. You could book him again with Dominic Cruz, who's also a name. He can make money off of names at those classes. There's a lot of money names down there that he can become a big deal. Plus, he runs his mouth all the time. So I like think he's probably on the border. And the other one, I just wish that the that I think from a fighting standpoint with more marketing could probably happen. And that's Joanna on Jacek. I think depending on how many chick she just absolutely demolishes because that's what she's doing she's just running everybody out of town if she continues running people out of town i I think she becomes a star pretty soon so i agree with you on that but here's where i kind of disagree um and i love yuana one of my favorite fighters to watch i think from like a mainstream appeal i just think the smaller weights always have a tough time and while she's obliterating people it's not an Instagram fits in 30 seconds right. obliterating it, people. It's, it's like a flurry puts her away. In not, the fourth round. Yeah. yeah. It, and I think that's one thing that, you know, we'll look back on the history books, and I hope kids are studying this in 50 years. I don't know why they would be. But the fact that Ronda's fights were so quick and fit in Instagram You could see videos, a hip toss and an arm bar in one 10-second clip. The, and, you know, and it came about at the same time as the social media. I think that's what kind of lit the fire with Ronda. Um, but you know, I but mean, Garbrand could have those, and Stipe could have those. So to your point, yeah, maybe she's a less likely pick than those two. I'm with you. I, listen, if Kevin Lee shocked the world and beat uh, uh, Tony Ferguson, I think he's his polarizing mount, enough. But yeah. that's good, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, he's I, polarizing enough. I, I also think here's another thing too. I think you know he, he's an African American fighter. Um, I think Jones uh, was you know representing African Americans in a, a yep. certain way. Yeah. And uh, now he's going to be suspended for four years. Well, Kevin Lee said that on our show, too, that there was nobody who he thought represented that, like, 
he called it hip hop lifestyle that the the people who listen to Kendrick Lamar he goes there's nobody in MMA who represents that group of people and brings right. that group of people in and he was right i mean he is the guy who can bring a whole new market into MMA so uh, Kevin Lee's a guy i would watch but again the performance has to has to obviously match the uh yeah the, the promo and, and he's got a fucking stiff test in front of him and, and that's one thing let's never forget you know Connor uh, we've said this on the show before Connor uh, might have gotten a quick path to the title, took five UFC wins, whatever the fuck you want to say about that. And people could say, oh, his mouth did, you know, got him further yep. than a guy who didn't have the promo ability. I feel like I'm talking about pro wrestling right now. But um, you know what? When Connor had to shine in all of his big fights, the first time he headlined Fight Pass, the first time he was a featured player on a pay per view, the first time he headlined FS1, the first time he was the co-main or was he the yeah he, the the first time he was the main event at ufc i think it was 189 that against mendez they all ended in highlight reel fucking ko's yeah. he showed so up when he needed to he showed up when he needed to and then delivered the promo so if anyone needs to fucking figure out what the recipe to success is it's that yep. you know yes you need to talk but if you have the big performances when they put you in those spotlights the first time you're headlining fight pass make it you know uh, highlight reel worthy yep. the first time you're the fs1 headliner make it highlight reel worthy and then you'll move up the chain because that's one thing that i think gets discredited with connor was they put him at different levels each time yep. it's not like he was just born in the ufc pay-per-view main event yep. like it's not he, like he took a short notice fight right yep. he proved himself at each of their different avenues yep. to get to their fans and that's why he was so successful so quick. All right, we've talked too much about this. It's because uh, we're fight nerds. We are fight nerds. And speaking of fight nerds. And speaking of fight nerds, we talked to a fight nerd ourselves. We want to play that interview for you now. We caught up with UFC fighter Daniel Spitz. Uh, and this interview is brought to you by Band Coffee. Band Coffee makes the world's strongest coffee. Head on over to bandcoffee.com. Enter in promo code TOPTURTLEMMA, all one word, not case sensitive. Get yourself 20% off. Band Coffee brings you our interview with UFC fighter Daniel Spitz. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we have the pleasure of speaking to Daniel Spitz, who fights Anthony the Freight Train Hamilton at Fight Night Pittsburgh on September 16th. Uh, Daniel, you, you took your first fight in the UFC uh, against Mark Godbeer on, on just a couple of weeks' notice. Uh, how did you feel prepared-wise going into that fight? Well, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I was 100% prepared, you know, training for a grappler a lower level grappler at King of the Cage and then you get thrown in with a kickboxer in the UFC on nine days notice, you know. It was a lot to take in, but it was a good experience for me, you know, you don't you don't say no when the UFC calls. So yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's, it, you know, you hear that story a lot from a lot of people, but now with a full fight camp under your belt, uh, how, how does this fight feel much different? I just feel I'm more prepared, you know, like I, I didn't really have very many heavyweights to train with before my last fight. So when I got put in the clinch, it, it took a lot out of me. Mm. So we were able to train with some good guys in Michigan and some guys at Extreme Couture just to get that, like that heavy body on top of me, you know, get comfortable with that, yeah. that new type of motion. Mm -hmm. and, and we've actually talked to uh, quite a few heavyweights about this, but like, you know, it, it is really difficult to find guys who are 230 and 240 pounds and really skilled because they're your future opponents. You know, there's not that many guys in the world like that. So uh, do you feel like throwing out some names here? Who were some of the guys that you got to train with at Couture? Um, Roy Nelson, he's he's a huge, 
he's been a huge help for me because he's you know he's fought everyone the guy's a veteran so even getting to roll with him for a half hour just goes leaps and bounds to your game and you learn a lot of those those heavyweight niches that you didn't know just grappling with little guys Mm -hmm. so that's pretty cool there's a heavyweight josh parisian Mm -hmm. who's signed with uh king of the cage right now he's a big guy he's like 280 moves really well for heavyweight so just the combination of those two has been been instrumental for me. Yeah, and, and so you're fighting Anthony Hamilton, who uh, who has kind of become pretty wrestle-heavy in his last couple of fights. So did you go into that this camp thinking uh, mostly that th- this is the fighter who's going to try to take you down? Yeah, you know, um, he, has, he comes from a wrestling background, and I don't think he's all too comfortable on the feet just by how he moves and how hesitant he is, so... Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty ready for him to try and take us down early. So, and, and obviously, you know, you like to stand on the feet a little bit more with your, your kind of tie like style. So before you got to the UFC, you know, some people might know you finished all of your wins with the exception of cabbage Carrera, who has definitely the hardest head in the history of MMA. Do, do Do you expect to be able to finish Anthony Hamilton too? Yeah, I think 100%. Um, no offense to Anthony Hamilton, but his, his chin started to go just from his last fight. You know, He barely got clipped by a middleweight, and that put him on skates. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely looking for the knockout here. But, you know, I'm a mixed martial artist. Like, I'm, I'm not uncomfortable anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I don't care. Submission is just as cool to me as a knockout. Yeah. You know? So, so here's a we're we're gonna switch gears just a little bit here. So this is something I've always wondered talking with heavyweights. So usually during uh, fight week, uh, when we're getting really close to fights, it's really hard for me to get in contact with some fighters. They don't want to do interviews because they're cranky and cutting weight. So you're a heavyweight though, and you come in like twenty twenty five pounds below the limit, um, while everybody else is like hanging out in the sauna, sweating, crying, uh, being hungry. What do you do during fight week? Um, I just I just try and keep my mind like on my opponent and try to not stress too much because mm-hmm. obviously I don't I don't have to cut weight so I just kind of hang out and enjoy whatever town I'm in for a little while you know but yeah I just try and keep it relaxed and yeah is there a big difference in your weight between fight camp and just your normal walk around weight when you're not in a fight camp? Um, no, you know I'll usually like if I let my get myself get out of shape I'm maybe five pounds over so i'll walk around at like 260 so i'm still mm. i'm still under the baseline all the time i'm actually trying to keep weight on this fight camp so i'm trying to walk around more at about 250 just to have that little bit extra strength you know but still keep a good a good cardio base for heavyweight absolutely that makes but yeah the, sense. the nutritionist i had to meet with definitely was just <laughs> I don't have to lose any weight. So <laughs> trying to keep enough calories in, trying to maintain my strength. Because I end up near the end of camp, especially with like a 10-week camp like I'm doing now, the last week I end up losing a lot of weight. So we're mm. trying to avoid that. Got you, got you. You know, I, got, I fought God beer at like barely 240. I was drinking water before I got on the scale to break 240. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. 
That's crazy. So, you know, we always like to ask just up and coming heavyweights, you know, what do you think of the top of the division now in the UFC? Obviously, Stipe, he's defended his title now uh, twice, which is actually the record. No one's ever defended more than twice. He might yeah. fight Cain Velasquez. Uh, hopefully, I think that's a match fans really want. Then you always have your guys like JDS and Overeem. Obviously, Francis Naganu's making waves. What do you make of the heavyweight division right now? Is it, Do you sort of feel like there's a path for you to get to the top 10? quickly or do you feel like it's deep what do you make of the heavyweight division right now it's definitely not deep so i mean i think anyone you ask that question it's not very deep like you said francis Ngano is a huge potential prospect we just have to see how he does against that wrestler type mm-hmm. you know until you're tested by that like ebay or that cane the guy that can just hang on you for 15 minutes and still knock you out you don't really know where you're at so I think his fight against JDS is a huge fight just to see where he's really at. Um, but other than that, you know, there's not much in the division. I don't know if you can really count Kane right now because he is so powerful on the sense that he's going to, is he going to make the fight, you know? Right. Like he was a great champion. He's a great fighter, but if he can't get to the actual octagon, there's not much to be talked about. Yeah. And other than that, I mean, look at look at guys like Derek Lewis. Nobody knew who that guy was a year and a half ago. And, you know, and he got his. He was what ranked six before he just lost to Mark Hunt. So, I believe so. Yeah. Definitely, this is a division where you get two or three wins. You're right in the top fifteen. Yeah, that I, it, I, I was interested to see if you would say that because that certainly, as fans, that's how we feel. It, it feels like the division <laughs> is not as deep as maybe it's been in the past. And, yeah. it, you know, it, it seems like it's sort of almost crying for, for up-and-coming prospects in a way. Um, we also wanted to ask you, we know you train with uh, Mike Chiesa and Sam Cecilia out there in Washington. Uh, mm-hmm. What have they, you know, what advice have they given to you as, you know, someone who just has one UFC fight under their belt? Have they given you any advice just as far as, you know, managing your expectations or how to handle the week leading up to the fight? What, what advice have they given you, if any? Well, they've been great just to, you know, a lot of these guys get into the UFC and they're kind of like shell shock, you know, because they don't have anyone to be around that's, that's, that's made it. So having veterans like Mike and Sam has just been great for me, mainly to like keep me relaxed, you know. There's nothing those guys haven't seen inside and outside of the octagon. So it's it's really just been great for me because um, it's almost like that big brother feel, you know. Like, if you have a big brother that's been doing something, you kind of just roll in and you feel a lot more relaxed in that situation absolutely yeah you almost feel like it's your own experience as well having seen them go through it here you know for the past few years yeah and there's nothing i can't talk to them about you know like any situation i I can't think of one off the top of my head but anything the ufc is going to throw at me either of those guys have been through and they can kind of talk me through it you know right so, you know, as a fighter, again, uh, this will be your second fight in the UFC. We always just like to ask this for fans who don't really know the personality side of Daniel Spitz. Where would we catch you, you know, on a random weekend, not in fight camp? Are you out at the clubs? Are you out late? Are you more of like the church going type, ultimate Frisbee? Like, what's going on here in Daniel Spitz's life when he's not training? Um, there's nothing I really won't go do. I don't really go out 
clubbing that much. You know, like I got that all out of my system in college, but there's nothing I really won't try at least once, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, hey, you're a cage but, fighter, um, so I would expect nothing less. Yeah, I definitely have that thrill-seeking side, you know? So anything, it's summer right now, so anything on the water is pretty great. But, um, you know, I really love this sport outside of it being my job. So when you, when I'm not training for a fight, you'll just see me in jujitsu class, you know, three or four hours a day. I really think I'm a nerd for this sport, let alone a nerd outside of the sport. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just, yeah, I mean, this, this consumes most of my time. If I'm not doing this, I'm, I'm probably thinking about it or I'm watching it or, you know, this isn't really a sport where you can just dabble here and there. You know, if it doesn't consume you, then you're kind of in the wrong spot. Yeah. Because we are in a very dangerous sport. So if we're not focused 100% of the time, then, yeah, you get hurt. <laughs> so, yeah, you're, you're a fight nerd then, which is good, which bodes well for your career. <laughs> yeah, that's actually how I got into this sport. You know, I started watching the pay-per-views at 34. It was wow. Tim Sylvia fighting... I forget who it was, but yeah, I haven't missed one since. And I, yeah, I really just love watching this sport. I love watching competitive jujitsu, competitive wrestling. I'm a huge boxing fan, even though I think McGregor Mayweather is going to be incredibly boring. Agreed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, everything, there's so much to do in this sport that if you are as obsessed as I am, then it's pretty, pretty easy to, just have one hobby <laughs> as a fan who goes back all the way to the ufc mid 30s like right around the time dana white and zufa got involved who was your guy growing up uh, like who, who are some of your favorite fighters to watch oh uh, randy Couture was my favorite fighter mm -hmm. up until well he retired but yeah i got the pleasure of meeting him just uh i kind of developed like some friends through misha tate and uh other fighters at extreme tour mm-hmm so I was able to, yeah, I was able to meet him. <laughs> I fanboyed out a little bit, but <laughs> um, for active fighters, my top two are probably Ioana and uh, Gustafson. <laughs> That's a great and answer. Then, um, yeah, there's, I just love the way they fight, and they're both like tall, lanky fighters like me for the division. So yeah, what? and then uh, the Korean Zombie, obviously, because. <clears throat> I don't know if anybody dislikes him. Can't dislike him and not like the way he fights. You know, I got to ask you. You mentioned Gus. What? I, obviously, there's a rumor of like a super fight with Brock and John Jones, but but who really knows about that? Because Brock's not even in the testing pool. If it was a Gus yeah. Jones rematch, how do you see that playing out? I think Gustafson wins. He won the first fight. I you think that was a bullshit scoring? How can you take three and a half rounds, which Gustafson obviously won? Like, it doesn't take a genius to say that he won those first three and a half rounds. Granted, he got caught with that elbow. Mm. But if we're going off a 10-must scoring system, right? Mm -hmm. So he should have already won. Neither of those last two rounds were 8-10. So I, 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 was, I was very against that scoring. Don't get me wrong. John Jones, I have nothing against the guy. He's an amazing fighter. Sure. But I think Gustafson already beat him once. So I think he beats him again. Interesting. Well, I, that that is the as a fellow fight nerd, that is the fight that I actually do hope gets booked. Um, oh yeah, in, in that division, uh, especially after he beat Glover. Oh yeah, it was good that fight. Yeah, agreed. 
Uh, well, Daniel, we can't thank you enough for the time. It's been uh, awesome getting to know you, uh, you know, the, the personality outside the fight. And, and Daniel fights Anthony Hamilton at Fight Night Pittsburgh on September 16th. We thank you so much, Daniel, and we wish you the best of luck in that fight. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate you having me on. There you have it, Gumby. Daniel Spitz. Yeah, uh, I, I like when you, you get fighters that uh, that talk about being you know fanboys as much as we are because then it's fun to talk about shit. I also am, am super interested in the fact that like there are so few giant-ass heavyweights out there that when you got to train, I mean, he's got to go like you know five states away <laughs> and, and hang out at a gym with a bunch of guys who train to beat the shit out of him. Right. Yeah, that's always interesting with the heavyweights is finding other heavyweights to train with. Yeah, but I think he, he did a good job finding somebody like Roy Nelson who's got, you know, even if he's not top of the heap anymore he's got a wealth of information to give to people absolutely all right so we were in a ufc lull it's over now gumby i know you're very excited but i'll tell you what i'm not very excited because (laughs) this card is just hurting but we'll go through it real quickly you could tell uh you could tell fans what's a fighter to keep an eye on what's a fight to keep an eye on but i want to start with uh the main event your main event is alexander volkov a minus 130 favorite against stefan struve a plus 110 dog who you got uh i I think i want to go with uh with struve on this one while i like uh volkov's reach and i actually think he uses his reach better than struve i also think struve in his last two fights has looked super focused uh he's won both of his last two fights he knocked out bigfoot which like you know, everybody knocks out Bigfoot nowadays. Um, but he also followed that up with a really nice Dars choke. And, and I think here, if for some reason it ever goes to the ground, somebody gets stunned, even if Volkov stuns him and chases him to the ground, I think he's that much better on the ground, actually. And, and that's not to say Volkov isn't good on the ground. Um, but, you know, I've seen him get taken down in a Bellator heavyweight championship fight uh, and get pounded out there. So, like, I know that somebody can do that to him. If Struve can get him down... I, I think that this is a, a really good mismatch for Struve on the ground. All righty. Um, and then you have, I believe this is now the co-main, Desmond Green, a plus 270 dog against Rustam Habilov, a uh, minus 330 favorite. Yeah, I don't know if that's the co-main. Originally, I think that was supposed to be on Fight Pass, but to me, that's like the best name fight on the card, right? Like, And, and Des Green coming off that win over Josh Emmett. I actually think I like Des Green in this one. Uh, Habilov has made his living with like Russian Sambo tosses. And and Des Green is like a superior wrestler, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what would happen if this takes place in the feet. It might cancel out and you might see a freaking boxing match between two guys who don't box. Um, but regardless, I think I like Des Green in this one. All right, I just this whole card just puts me to sleep. Give us a fighter or a fight to keep an eye on right well, here. Well, you always got to watch Brian Barberena. Um, Bam Bam from uh, the MMA Lab. He's fighting Leon Edwards. He's a little bit of an underdog, but he's always fun to watch. Uh, I'm also interested in the UFC debuts of two guys. There's a light heavyweight. His name's Abdul Karim Adilov. Um, he's been like signed by the UFC for a really long ass time and we've just been waiting for his debut uh he's supposed to be super super exciting I've seen like little clips of him fighting in Russia um but not too much and the other one you got to watch is Zabit Magomed Shapirov uh who's a Mark Henry trained Russian but he's got 
some really great Muay Thai, and he uses his range uh, to set up some really, really nasty KOs. He's going to be fighting Mike Santiago on short notice coming off uh, the Dana White Contender Series. So uh, that's a fun featherweight fight. So a couple of Russian guys uh, to keep an eye on that might be fun to watch. All right. And you mentioned Brian Barberena, friend of the show. He is a plus 250 dog yeah, to so, Leon Edwards, a minus 300. Yeah, I want to say Des Green's a huge dog, too. So, like, a lot of money to be made on this card because uh, usually they don't know what to do with the foreign cards. You heard it here first, and this is the last word from us. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. Thank you so much for joining. Follow the show on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. Uh, and, of course, give us that download, a subscribe, write a review. It gosh darn helps us out. We really appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Top Turtle MMA Podcast.